Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is We Don't Talk About, Part 3, Religion, recorded Sunday, August 21st, 2022. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Parker with today's message. You know, I always thought it was funny growing up that people said there's two things we don't talk about, politics and religion. And even as a young adult with only like half of my brain, you know, as a, as a young high school boy, I thought, I wasn't even in a church yet. And I thought, is there are two more important things to shaping the human experience on planet Earth than politics and religion, you know? Like, if the two things that we were asked not to talk about were just cats and NASCAR, I don't know, like, fine, okay, I understand, I respect it. I won't, I won't, we won't talk about NASCAR. Politics and religion, though. I was like a kid trying to understand why the mature adults were, that were telling us to be more mature just couldn't handle talking about two really important things, as if, like, just having a discussion, even maybe you disagree, talking that out, listening to each other, and walking away okay just wasn't an option. And then I, you know, after that moment, that little toot of an idea left my preteen brain, I just went back to worrying about my Justin Bieber haircut and if my Hollister shirt was tight enough to get me called to the office. You know, like, that's all I really cared about at that time. You had a too tight Hollister shirt, too, and you know it. Way too tight. But it is kind of funny. Like, let's be honest, in a series of stuff that we joke about we don't normally talk about in church, we're talking about religion. And I will say, in our church movement, the restoration, non-denominational Christian church movement, you'll hear us talk way more about relationship than religion. Like, we will talk about us desiring a relationship with Jesus, not us desiring a religion of Jesus, if that makes sense. And I'm all for that. I think real relationship beats empty religion any day. And this was huge for me when I was coming through high school, too. Like, I had seen enough religious people, and I had felt the vibe of enough religious people that whatever they were up to, I didn't want anything to do with it. You know, like, they would, they would go dress Sunday best, same pew, pay the toll, and then they'd come to Kmart and treat us, trek- or us checkers like trash like an hour later, you know? And I'm going, like, that's empty. What are you trying to do? Are you trying to prove something? Are you trying to trick God into liking you? And I wasn't even an atheist. Like, I knew at some point God was going to deal with me and I was going to deal with him. I was just putting that off as long as I could, you know? And so fast forward, I'm sitting at CIY Move on night three and Taylor Jones is my adult leader there in 2010. Kind of trippy, I know. And I, and I heard the gospel for the first time. You know, I had heard it a thousand times, but I heard it for the first time. And I had two monumental life-shifting realizations that night. And the first was this. Jesus was just as unfond of empty religion as I was. And the second was that he knew my name. And both of these things were something completely different than what I was skeptical of. Yeah, some people get it wrong, but listen, I still saw that Jesus still got it right. Like, even if a lot of people get it wrong, that doesn't mean Jesus is wrong. He still got it right. And maybe you're here today, and you need to hear those things too. Jesus is just as unfond of empty religion as you are. And he knows your name. He knows your pain. He knows your life. And even though maybe you haven't done any of the religious things to make him like you, he still wants to be close to you. An article published by theologian S. Michael Houdman on the difference between religion and relationship puts it this way. 
Christians sometimes quip that Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. Well, of course, using the broadest definition of religion, the word accurately applies to following Jesus. And yet, believers are meant to understand how behaviors and attitudes should flow both from and towards the person of Jesus Christ. So far as that understanding exists, Christianity is fundamentally different from every other religion in the world. So in light of what Jesus has to offer you in life, a purpose, an identity, a friendship, a more beautiful way to live, religion in and of itself gets us nowhere. So let's look at a text today where Jesus is talking about some people who valued religion higher than a relationship with God himself. Now, it's going to be very easy when we're reading this to start judging people. But don't you be so arrogant to not think it's you too. When I started reading my Bible after CIY, whenever Jesus was getting after the religious people, I was like, boom, yeah, get them, Jesus, get them. And then God showed me that Scripture makes a better mirror than a window. And then I started looking at what those religious people were doing, like playing the church game and then living a different way the rest of the week. Uh, caring about image, not caring about people, pretending to be something to satisfy their ego. Uh-oh. <laughs> All of a sudden, it wasn't just about them getting theirs. It was about me getting mine, too. So let's look at this as a mirror, not a window today. We're going to miss the guidance that Jesus has for us because he offers us a much more inspiring, life-giving, true, and beautiful way to experience a relationship with God. Here's Mark chapter 12, Verse 35, while Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared the Lord said to my Lord, you see, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How can he be his son? And the large crowd listened to him with delight. So this chunk here, Jesus was speaking into the misconceptions that people had who they thought the Messiah was going to be. They had gotten off track and thought that Jesus was going to be some political figure to wage war, a king by the world's standards. But he put them back on track by telling them, no, 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 kings called him king, and lords call him lord. His authority wasn't just about politics. It was about a divine power over the entire universe of everything. Verse 38. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. Now look for yourself in this. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues, the places of honor and the banquets. They devour widows' homes. And for a show, they make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Now first, yeah, totally biblical. The teachers and preachers will be judged on a different scale than everybody else. James chapter 3, verse 1 says, not many of you should be teachers. Because you know teachers are going to be judged completely different, much more strictly. And that makes me shiver. But I'm called to be here, I'll be obedient, and I love serving you this way. Second, we all kind of wear flowing robes, you know, metaphorically. I mean, think of our Instagram accounts, flaunting our possessions, our experiences, perfection on the outside, emptiness on the inside. Maybe. For you, it's, you know, you're prettied up, you're trimmed up, hallelujah on the outside, but if anybody that cared about you got a hold of your passcode to your phone or the passwords to those accounts or your search history, our respect in the marketplace, 
could be getting our applause for some takedown post we put on Facebook in a group of a bunch of people who think the same way we do. Oh, man, aren't you so brave? Aren't you so brave to post that in your little hit mob? Good job. They give you your applause. Our place in banquets could be any place we shove ourselves into for status or pride's sake, stepping on people, stepping over people. For me, our devouring of widows' homes could just be purposely forgetting those who are hurting and broken because they're just a lot of work. You know, they're someone else's problem. Our lengthy prayers could be all this talk about your God, but never showing any evidence that you actually follow what he says. If someone didn't see you in church on Sunday, they would have no idea you're a Christian by the way that you live, by the way that you treat people. Our judgment could be that God sees all of it, and he knows your heart. Verse 41, Jesus sat down the opposite place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasuries. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more to the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Now, there's nothing impressive about the amount the widow gave, but the Savior of the world saw her gift as beautiful, inspiring, and a sign of a relationship with God. It had to be. She had nothing else to show off about, you know? Another translation said that some gave what they wouldn't miss. They didn't feel it when it left their hand. Religious leaders would love to like make sure it's weighed out, looks really perfect. You know, what they did is they just grabbed it out of the cup holder out of the car before they came in. But then they would throw it in, make a real loud bang to make it be like a rock star in a music video. You know, everybody's, wow, they're so good. On the other hand, we have the widow. And she surely would have missed what she gave. You know, she felt that. I suppose that's the difference of giving motivated out of real relationship instead of empty religion. You feel it. Giving an amount you feel. I like that. I'm not saying Jane and I give the right amount or the wrong amount or that we couldn't give more or that we're satisfying some sort of standard. But we feel it, you know. Like especially with two kids, we're like, do you know how many diapers we could buy with that? (laughs) You know, we feel it. But it keeps us humble and expectant on God to provide. He always has and he always will. And we are 100% bought in. We totally believe in the vision and mission of the local church to revive communities with love and hope. This church specifically, 100% bought in. To those of you who are thinking about starting your journey of giving to a church, I think you have two options in this experience. If you're here and you're not ready to trust a church with a single dime because of some sort of mistrust in the past or just because you don't trust a church at all, at least you would feel that dime, you know? And maybe Jesus would go, that gift was greater than all the others today. And for some of us, we know we have a responsibility and a desire to be a part of investing in the kingdom of God here in Nebraska and around the globe, but we just are intimidated. Like, we have no idea where to start. Is it going to be good enough? Are people going to call me and say that I should have given more? Is it religiously satisfying if I give this? Whatever. Maybe it's not so much about the amount but it's about giving something that you feel. And that can be different for every person. That's between you and God, and that's between you and your spouse or whatever. But something that would draw you in closer in a relationship with God. Jesus isn't looking at how impressive the amount of her gift was. He was affirming the heart of a woman who trusted God with everything. 
you see. Loving God with her all, I'm guessing because she had a real relationship with him. The religious leaders of the time just totally missed it. And we can too. Don't think that we can't. They were just so wrapped up in their appetites for religion and the human praise that came with it that they missed the literal hand of God reaching out for a relationship with them. In that same article by S. Michael Houdman, he puts it, just the whole picture, beautifully in a paragraph. This is art to me, so read with me on this. The grace-based relationship between God and man is the foundation of Christianity and the antithesis of religion. It's the opposite of it. Established religion was one of the staunchest opponents of Jesus during his earthly ministry. When God gave his law to the Israelites, his desire was that they would love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. We talked about this last week. Love speaks of relationship. Love speaks of relationship. Obedience to all the other commands had to stem from a love for God. Brendan and I, the guy who writes our rhythms every week for the last like two years or whatever, we were talking about this message. And, and we were just like, yeah, I mean, it's not like Jesus went, forget everything, forget the establishment, never go to church again. That's not true. He was a faithful Jew who went to church, was a part of giving, was a part of the sacraments, but he did it all out of a love for God, and that's what made him different. Over the years, let's see, where are we at? We're able to love him because he first loved us. However, by Jesus' time, the Jewish leaders had made a religion out of God's desire to live in a love relationship with them. And over the years, they had perverted God's law into a works-based religion that alienated people from him. And then they added many of their own rules to make it even more cumbersome. And they prided themselves on their ability to keep the law, at least outwardly, and lorded their authority over the common people who could just never keep such strenuous rules. The Pharisees, as adept as they were at rule-keeping, failed to recognize God himself when he was standing right in front of them. They had chosen religion over relationship. And here's the sting of empty religion. Here's Jesus putting out warning shots to people who are religious to the core. They do all the tricks, the stunts, they look great to people, but they never once walked in a relationship with him. This is Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And I thought, if I was sitting where you were, I'd be like, tell me what that is. M.J. Wilkins put it this way, to follow Jesus' example in discipleship and become like him will enable his disciples, us, to do God's will on a daily basis. To follow him, to be in a relationship with him, to be obedient to that call, that is the will of, the God, will of God, our Father. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? We cast out demons. We did some miracles. We, pro- we preached some dope sermons. Like, people really like us. And then I'll tell them plainly, Jesus says, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. You just used me for whatever that little game is that you're playing. But Lord, we never missed a Sunday. We proved everyone wrong on social media. We had a spotless reputation. People thought we were nice and even said we were good people. I never knew you. And I never got the chance to know you. And you never took the time to know me. Away with me. You just used me. He has little to nothing to do with empty religion. Besides standing with a hand open to call you out of that into a relationship with him. Discipleship, obedience, ultimately to follow him. Because here's the deal. Empty religion just gets us nowhere. We just spin our wheels in the mud trying to prove ourselves to God. Trying to get him to like us. 
trying to be good enough, but it's hopeless because every single one of us have messed up, made a mistake, have failed, and broken our relationship with God. Even preachers. Like I had somebody in my family tell me, hey, you should pray for this because you have a special connection to God. And I was like, oh yeah, my benefits package, you know? (laughs) And then I got really sad because I was like, my connection is no different than what yours could be. I am like the most ordinary dude, you know? And my sin, likewise, separated me from God just like your sin. Romans chapter 3. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners and proved that we were utterly incapable of living the glorious life God wills for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess that we're in and restored us to where we always wanted to be, and he did it by the means of Jesus Christ, not knocking out somebody's religious to-do list before we die. No, through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. I tell it to element students this way. I'm like, imagine a staircase to God, okay? Just imagine this. Religion says spend your whole life trying to be good enough so you can get up the steps, and if you mess up, you fall back down, and knowing the whole time you'll never be good enough to actually get there. It sounds like torture. Relationship says God came down that staircase in the form of a man named Jesus Christ to walk alongside you, to be with you, to guide you every step of the way. Christianity is the only religion, faith system that believes that God came down for us to meet us here, to walk with us, and to change us. Oh, a relationship with him will change you. Instead of us ascending the staircase, Jesus lowered himself to be by our side. I mean, you know the old story. There once was an old lady who was sure that all the glitters was gold, and she's buying a Stairway to heaven. I knew you would get it. I knew it. I could count on you, but you know the rules. You know the rules. No stairway to heaven. I, I quote Wayne's World like every three sermons, I think, if, if you remember that moment. And, yeah. I remember a story of a, a student in Element like five years ago, and he had been to everything that Element did for like four or five. Are you kidding me? <laughs> No. Knock it off. Get out of here. I don't know. So we were, uh, there's a Salomon student five years ago. Five years ago or so. He'd been to everything Element had ever done for like four or five years. He was, he was like well along his way in being in church. He, he had been to every church Sunday, okay? And I did this message at Element. It was an Easter message on the actual apologetic evidence of the resurrection. And a lot of it came from a book called Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. It's a super good book, and he's a super kind guy. I've oddly got to meet him a few times. And I lay all this out, and he comes to me afterwards, and he finds me, and he goes, whoa. I never thought of it being real. And I was like, I had that exact same moment. You know, and maybe you did too. It's like you woke up out of the empty religious motions, whatever that moment was for you, and you discovered something real. Let's talk about what's real. There's nothing more real to the human experience than a relationship. And maybe you agree with all of this, and you're right on the line of being all in for a relationship with God. You're like, yeah, sounds good. Today's the day. If it wasn't for this one lie you were believing in, it's that you'll never be good enough. 
He'll never want someone like you. Earlier this year, I was trying to work through like the biggest lies that I believe in my life. Super hard, super helpful. And the biggest lie at the root of it all is that I feel like I'll never be good enough. But it wasn't like, it didn't satisfy the, the itch. Like there was something more to that. And it's because that's true. I'll never be good enough. I'm busted. I'm broken. I've failed. So if that's not the lie, what is? The lie is that I feel like I can be good enough. That I could be good enough to earn it. That I could be good enough to deserve it. And that's not how God's love works. There's a beautiful picture of how God's love works and how a relationship with him is already in motion with you. This is Kenya, 2019. We're sitting in a circle in Marion Wallace Kamau's home. Now, these are the founders of Missions of Hope International, MOHI, where we sponsor all those kids to go to school. We're building a school, starting churches, all that kind of stuff. We're there. And there's about 30 of us sitting in their living room, drinking instant coffee, and we're talking. And uh, there's this young Kenyan man in the corner who introduces himself. His name's Elijah. And he's a preacher now in Kenya because of the whole Mohi system. He came up through it, and, and now he's serving the kingdom of God that way. And so the conversation kept going, and we were trying to figure out how do we explain to these kids that we sponsor to go to school, like, who we are and how we love them. It's like, hey, I'm your American financially adoptive dad for your education. You know, like, how do I, how do I explain to them who I am? And Mary kind of pipes in, and she goes, you know, here in Kenya, we raise children as a village. She said, our children have many mothers. She said, nobody's going to be offended at the thought that you are an extra set of parents. Like, that's, they're, they're going to feel loved by that, actually. And so we're like, cool. Someone asks Wallace, uh, her husband, and he goes, uh, uh, what is the Swahili word for adoption? And Swahili in Kenya is kind of diluted by English being the dominant language. He's sitting there, kind of thinking, like, get that his phone. I can see over his shoulder, he's Googling it. You know, he's like trying to figure out what it is. And he goes, there's no word in Swahili for adoption. I don't know of any. He goes, but it doesn't work like that here. It works like this. And he signals to the young man in the corner. He goes, his name is Elijah. He was an orphan. We gave him food, we gave him shelter and a place to sleep, we helped him get an education. He's been with us since he was a child. I love him, so he is my son. No paperwork, no legalities, no checklist to receive that father-child relationship. Don't you see this, how God loves you? how a relationship with him is already in motion. Because you're loved, you are a daughter. Because you're loved, you are a son. That's how this relationship started before you could even say a word. You were loved, he loved you first. I'm not talking about the beauty of legal adoption now, I'm talking about your spiritual adoption. Scripture says that we're adopted into a family of God while empty religion demands logistics, paperwork, applications, earn it. Real relationship says one payment's required and I will pay the price in blood so you can see how much you're worth it to me. I'm speaking of the cross where Jesus willingly went to die for your sin. 
And because of the resurrection, because he proved that he has power over all of that, the document signed on his end and it slid to your side of the table. What will it be? Because God loves you, a relationship is already in motion. It's right here waiting for you. You'll never be good enough, and he never asked you to be. He didn't. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had to send his one and only son, who was the one who could be good enough to die for you, to pay for your sins, so that a relationship between you and God could be restored if you put your faith in him and said, yes, I need a savior, and he's the one. Saved. Made whole. Born again. We had a baptism last service. His name was Isaiah. I asked him, like, in service. I'm sure he didn't appreciate it. I go, Isaiah, did you get baptized because you thought you were good enough? And you can see his, like, middle school shaggy hair just going. <laughs> I go, exactly. Exactly. It's not because you thought you were good enough. It's because you knew you weren't and you knew you need a savior. Here I am holding my newborn daughter. November 2020. We'd pray for a child for years. And she had done nothing up until that point besides poop in my hand, and I'm not even kidding, <laughs> to make her be in a position where she deserved my love. She didn't earn my love. I would die for her. Because I love her so much. And here's my son. My firstborn son, May 2022, he has done nothing to earn my love, but I would die for him. I love him so much. And so it is with you. And so it is with you and God. Today's the day for a real relationship. Like, how could your life be different? How could everything be different? How could it be more meaningful, purposeful, fulfilling, adventurous, beautiful, if you just knew you were loved? Break down the walls of our empty religion, God. Your real relationship is just so much better. Your way is better. We're gonna move into a time of communion. I wanna pray first. Would you pray with me? Lord, God, there are people in here that just believe the lie that they feel like they gotta add up to be good enough to get your attention and it's just a lie from the pit of hell. You love them. And they'll never be good enough and that's why they need a savior and that's why you sent your son. I pray that they see that, that it becomes real to them today. And God, there's some of us who have made that decision long ago but somewhere along the way veered and ended up in this empty religious motion that is lifeless and dragging and we feel like we've got to be somebody. Take us back to the beginning when we just knew we were broken, hurting and needed help and we turned to you and our relationship could be restored. So as we take communion, help us remember that moment that you said one payment's required and I'll pay it in blood because you're worth it to me. Your way is better, God. It's in Jesus' name.
So I had this thing planned where I was going to come out and we're going to take our action step and we're going to DTR, we're going to define the relationship with Jesus. We're going to figure out if we're, you know, he's a stranger or an acquaintance or a friend of ours. And scripture does say that he came so that he could call you friend. And it says that, that he is closer than a brother in that friendship. But then I thought, you know, probably the majority of you sitting in here, you probably wouldn't be here if you weren't at least somewhat interested. And you're probably going, well, how do I be a friend? Like, how do I do that? So telling you how to do that is probably more helpful. So I had this thought. I go, how did any of your friendships in life get good? It's typically like these three things. You spent time together. You talked and you listened to each other. And you found common interests to pursue together. Maybe it's that simple. Like maybe you have no idea where to start in this relationship with God and just like we already know and we just take it too serious. You know, and we kind of walk away like this and be like, oh man, but maybe you could just have fun with it. You know, like maybe you could have fun and enjoy the fact that the God of the universe wants to be your friend. And then you just spend time together. You talk to each other. You listen to each other. And you find these common interests of building the kingdom of God. And then all of a sudden your life just starts to look like his. And I mean, we take it too serious. We try too hard. He's the guy who said this. He said this. He goes, come to me, all who are weary. Are you weary? Are you burned out? Are you worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace from me. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. This is Jesus talking. He's like, keep company with me. Just be around me. Spend time with me. Listen, talk to me. And then we'll like get in, we'll pursue common interests. Like we'll, we'll do it together. You're not alone. I'll teach you how to live freely and lightly. And I will tell you from my own experience, he's a man of his word. He's a God of his word. And yeah, I have my days, but like the trajectory is set, you know? Teachers, thank you for what you do. School workers, thank you for what you do. I was on the treadmill this week, and, and a teacher of mine from high school got on the treadmill. That's the blessing and curse of living in your hometown. You know, you're like, hi, how are you doing? You know? <laughs> but this was a good one. It was a good relationship. And so uh, I was talking to him, and I go, okay, been teaching for 43 years, just retired. I go, why did you do it? Why did you do it? He goes, well, you know, I like coaching. It was something new every day. And I go, yeah, but why did you do it? And he goes, the kids, man kids and my, and my peers, the people I work with. I go, it's the relationships, isn't it? He goes, absolutely. And I'm just like overwhelmed with thankfulness for all the teachers, the cafeteria workers, the front desk lady, like all these people who impacted me when I was going through high school. You go through days that are like hell on earth. What do you do it for? I'm guessing the majority, if not all of you do it because of the kids your peers, the relationships that are there. God bless you. God bless you for that. We have that small gift for you out in the plaza. I say small because it's like we can't pay you what you're worth, okay? But we want to say thank you. So make sure you swing by there and get your gift. We just want to make you feel loved. So Jesus is way better. Our relationship with him is way better. He's our king, king of kings, lord of lords. Jesus, our king forever. We have one more song. We're going to sing just about that very thing. I hope you have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. 
And please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.